believe God is going to testify to our hearts today of his goodness as he's already done and will continue to do as we reach out to him with faith. Today is Orphan Sunday, a day that we uh, have a tradition of marking in the life of our church and we want to lean into today what God um, has to say to us today about our care for the orphan, about the vulnerable child in our midst. Even more than that, I'm praying today that God is going to speak to hearts and lives about his fatherhood and his care for us. Jesus said to his disciples on the night in which he gave himself up for them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm going to dig into today what he meant by that and how he lived that out. You know, every week we pray for another church or a ministry or mission partner in the life of our church to remind ourselves that um, the kingdom of God is so much bigger than just ourselves. And so this week we're going to pray for Brian and Catherine Jones. These are uh, just good friends of ours. I've had the privilege of knowing them for many years since um, being in a, in a newly married class, uh, Sunday school class with them. And um, seeing God call them in the mission field in 2014, they serve in Moldova and they've worked in so many ways uh, with orphan children, with uh, preventing human trafficking, and, um, and just um, blessing that nation in so many ways that God is using them. So, so thankful for their ministry and, uh, and for this church that supports them as missionaries. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray for Brian and Catherine together and pray for God to speak to us today, if you'll join me. Heavenly Father, we see the evidence of your goodness all around us. You are a good father. And you have blessed us, and you will bless us even more. Your promises are true. And so today we are reaching out to you with faith and receiving what you would say to us in this moment by your word and asking for your Holy Spirit to give testimony in our hearts to affirm um, the truth of what your word says to us. I pray that you would extend a hand of special blessing over Brian and Catherine Jones and their whole uh, ministry there in Moldova and over that nation, uh, that you would continue to use them to um, but put fatherhood, put family, put protection around vulnerable girls and, and young people and orphans in that nation and to turn the heart of that nation, to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers in the whole nation of Moldova. Lord, I believe you're going to use them for that. And I pray you anoint them with your Holy Spirit to overcome every obstacle to see it happen. And now, Lord, would you do the same here? Would you turn our hearts to you, Father, and know calls us to know that your heart is turned toward us because we pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You know, there are um, three things that I want you to observe that are in your notes today uh, about uh, this Orphan Sunday. And um, I just want to begin by saying that I believe here at Fraser as a church, uh, this is a church that has begun well. In, in the ministry of caring for vulnerable children and, and reaching out um, to orphans in our midst. There's been so many families over the years that have uh, blessed me and my wife as we've gotten to see um, their story. I've been blessed by Jared and Abby and their adoption story. I've been blessed um, uh, by my friend Brandon. Many of you saw this week, Brandon, that uh, was a associate pastor here for a while, that they finalized an adoption this week and just praising God for that. There's been so many ways that this church reaches out in the community and around the world um, to care for kids who are in need. And, but I also want to challenge us this morning to let's press into that work. Let's carry it 
onward. Let's uh, see where God is calling us toward. There's been some ways in which um, our work towards the vulnerable children in our community have had to kind of take a pause during the pandemic, and I just believe God is calling us to bring those things back into action, and that he would even speak to hearts today about what our families might do uh, to care for the orphan among us, because the first observation in your notes there is that God is a defender of the fatherless. He's a defender of the fatherless. Um, Three things that I could say about that phrase, defender of the fatherless. First of all, is that it describes divinity. Um, Deuteronomy 10 says that of God that he defends the cause of the fatherless. And in Psalm 68, verse 5, God is described as a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. This is who our God is. It's how he describes himself through his word, is as a defender of the fatherless, and one uh, who cares for those who are in need in that way. Um, Not only does it describe divinity, though, but it also determines dynasties. In other words, how a nation, a people, a leader, a ruler, a city responds to the needs of the most vulnerable among them determines the destiny of that nation or that people. Again, in Psalms, in uh, Psalm 82, verse 3, God is speaking to the rulers of the earth, those who consider themselves powerful, those who are in positions of authority over nations and kingdoms and cities. And he says to them, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. And he goes on to say later in that psalm in verse 7, to those who don't do that, to those who are leaders in the earth, to the nations, however powerful they may be on the earth, if they don't do that, if they don't care for the orphan, if they don't do justice in the sight of the God who is the defender of the fatherless, he says, then you will fall like every other. No matter how great you may think you are, you will fall like any other. And so um, on a Sunday in which we do honor and remember our, our veterans among us and honor them, it, it behooves us to think about our nation and to ask ourselves the question, what is, how, how, how are we responding as a nation to the needs of the fatherless? Because it will determine our destiny. If a, if a nation will defend its borders but destroys its babies, how long can such a nation endure on the earth? If we'll fight for our freedom but we won't feed the fatherless, how long can we expect to remain the blessed nation that we have been? And so it behooves us to move in our, in our country and to call out to our fellow citizens to say, how are we as a nation defending the fatherless among us? Because that's who our God is and that's what he calls us to be. You know, I was at a prayer walk recently and I heard a woman, uh, she seemed very kind of sweet and gentle until she got up and actually started to pray. And then she was praying like these really bold prayers. And one of the things she prayed in this moment, she said, God, would you forgive us because we have put animals in the place in our hearts that we ought to have for children. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a strong prayer because I'm not sure I would have prayed that because people really love their animals, right? Now, don't get me wrong, God loves animals too. He made them and he calls us to care for creation. But on just a whim this morning, I looked up some numbers and I saw that over the past 10 years, our nation has doubled what we spend on pets from 50 billion to over $100 billion a year. And I just did some quick math because there's about 400,000 kids in foster care in our nation currently. And if you just took the increase over the last 10 years of $50 billion divided among all the kids in foster care, that's about $125,000 a year for every kid in foster care. 
And I'm just saying, is it possible that there's room for us to do a little more for the orphan in our midst? Is it possible, possible that there's space in our lives to get a little uncomfortable, to reach out to the orphan and the one who is in need, to reflect the heart of our God who is a defender of the fatherless? Amen? Defender of the fatherless not only describes divinity, it also determines dynasties, but it also defines devotion. And so whether our nation does it, whether the world does it or not, whether the people around us respond to the needs of orphans, certainly the church should be. Because in James 1.27, we hear this description. It says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And so in that he describes religion and he says there's a pure and a genuine religion that cares for the orphan, that implies to me that there's also such a thing as an impure and not genuine religion. There's a hypocritical version of religion that has the form of religion but doesn't actually carry out the heart of the Father towards the orphan. And so it defines our devotion. Certainly we as the church should be known as a people that are responding to the needs of the vulnerable children in our midst. And I just know for me personally, the challenge is that I found that it's very easy uh, to substitute actual care for the orphan with a political theory about care for the orphan. And here's what I mean by that. Just because I have an explanation that makes sense to me of why there's an orphan crisis in our country, just because I have a sociological explanation of why certain policies or whatever, if they were changed, would make things where we had less uh, kids that were fatherless or orphan, isn't the same thing as standing before God and him asking me, what did you do, Ken, to actually care for the orphan that was in your community, that was five minutes away from you? And so I think the call for us is to say, what are you speaking to us, Father? How are you calling us as a church to embody your heart as a defender of the fatherless, to reach out in all the ways that we can? And, and here's what I find about most um, believers. I believe that our heart is, your heart is, that most of us, we wanna do it. Like we want to be involved. And that sometimes we're just not sure how we should go about it. How do we um, do that? And so I just wanna give you something practical today. It so happens that my next door neighbor, uh, works for Lifeline Children's Services, and her role is to even uh, speak to churches and individuals about uh, ways to get involved in foster care and adoption and orphan ministries and in all uh, many different ways. And she let me know about an event that's actually happening tonight um, through Lifeline and a ministry called No More Orphans. It's a virtual event, so you can just log in from home, seven o'clock tonight, go to fornomore.org, and uh, you can log in there to this virtual event where they're just gonna be explaining just some practical ways how every Christian could get involved in some way in caring for uh, the orphan among us and moving up towards a world uh, where there's no more orphans in our midst. And so I just encourage you to check that out tonight or just walk out in our atrium um, and uh, see our, our missions ministry folks that are out there today. Uh, they've got uh, you know, tags for foster uh, care kids for Christmas, but also behind them on the wall, there's like 12 different organizations that we partner with as a church. Uh, here locally and internationally that focus on care for the orphan and for families. And you could just say, hey, how can I get more involved with one of these organizations? And so just challenge you to do that today. But as I was thinking about this concept of Orphan Sunday, and um, I don't know about you, but for me, most of the time when I say the word orphan, the image that comes to mind is a very small child, um, even an infant or a small child who's in need. 
Uh, and certainly scripture calls us to come around um, small children. But, you know, Emily and I have uh, had the privilege, as I was saying earlier, of knowing a number of families that, um, you know, have adopted, and some of them adopted kids when our kids were little, so we've gotten to see them grow up, and most of those friends now, they're, they're, um, their kids are now teenagers, or they're actually moving into the young adult years. And so I get a little different picture of what does it look like um, to, um, to bless those kids and to help them find their identity and purpose. You know, every young adult, I believe, every teenager kind of struggles with what's my identity, what's my purpose, what's my calling, what's my destiny, you know, who am I? And, and then when you add on to that the experience of fatherlessness or orphanhood, then there's um, an added element that they go through. And as I was thinking about that, it occurred to me as I was studying that in Scripture, uh, in the ancient times in which Scripture was written, adoption was almost never actually for little children. It was almost always practiced for young adults. And it was a moment to mark that someone was becoming an heir. They were becoming an inheritor. They were receiving um, the headship of a family through the process of adoption. And here's why I'm pointing that out to you today, because I believe that not only is God calling us into practical ways of serving the orphan in our midst, but I also believe that there is an orphan spirit that is coming against the church, coming against a generation today. Um, there is certainly an epidemic of fatherlessness and many people who don't experience connection either because they didn't have that parent in their lives or because that parent was not um, um, a blessing in their life. And so there's an epidemic of that. But even among people that you know, had a loving family, I just see a generation of young people that are questioning, like, what's my identity in Christ? How do I actually take hold of the calling of God on my life? And I believe there's an attack of the enemy against our identity as children of God. And I believe God would want to speak to us today about a spirit of adoption that he gives to us to overcome that orphan uh, spirit in our midst. And the way he does that first and foremost, is through the example of Jesus. And so that's the second observation in your outline today. Is to, we need to look at the example of the father and the son. If we want to see a true image of the connection between parent and child, we need to look no further than Jesus and God the Father. Because I believe that the reason God is a defender of the fatherless is because he's a father. And he wants every human being to be in a relationship with him. And really, the plight of the orphan is just um, a physical reminder that all of us spiritually experience in the brokenness of sin in the world a sense of being orphaned from God, a sense of disconnection from God the Father. And in order for us to see a true picture and be restored into a true image of what does it actually look like to have connection with the Father, we have to look at the sinless one, Jesus, and see how he related to his Father. And so there's three things I would point out to you about the relationship between Jesus and the Father. Number one is he spoke the word of the Father. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50 says, uh, Jesus says, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Jesus says, I, I hear what the Father says and I speak it. And every, every child, every son, every daughter needs to be able to hear the voice of a father speaking life over them, speaking identity over them, speaking purpose over them. And ultimately, we need to hear that from our Heavenly Father. He is speaking those words of life over us. And we need to come to a place of connection with the Father where we actually receive his words as not just abstract and out there somewhere, but actually promises that relate to our own lives. And therefore, Jesus shows us what that looked like. He heard the voice of the Father, and then he reflected that word into the world. But not only did he speak the words of the Father, Jesus also did the works of the Father. 
So in John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, he says, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does, for the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. Jesus does the works of the Father. He shows this relationship. It's not um, the Father has this work and I have some other work, but he sees what the Father does and he does it. I, um, I could be wrong. It's very possible that at some point in my childhood my mother actually took out the trash, but I don't remember ever seeing that. I only ever saw my father take the trash out and until I became a teenager, and then it was my job to take the trash out. Now, I only did it when my father told me to, but something changed when I became an adult. And now, although Emily's perfectly capable of taking the trash out, she rarely does. Normally, I just do it um, until Andrew became a teenager, and then now I tell him to do it. Now, right now, he only does it when I tell him to do it. But I, there's a lot of things I wish I'd done better as a father, that I could improve in as a father. But I just want to tell you, I, I have this confidence that there will be a day that I'll walk into Andrew's house when he's an adult, and I will see him pick up the trash and take it out without anybody asking him to, because he saw me do it. What am I saying? Jesus does what the Father does. And he's showing us what real connection to the Father looks like. It's not just a servant-like, slave-like obedience to a command. It's a willing imitation of everything about the Father's heart because there's a connection there. He speaks the words of the Father. He does the works of the Father. So when Jesus sees hungry people, he multiplies bread. He doesn't have to think about what to do because the Father in heaven is the one who created all the bread in the world and who sent down bread from heaven to the Israelites in the wilderness. When Jesus sees a blind man, he doesn't wonder what to do. He knows that the word of the Father was let there be light and that the works of the Father were to create the human eye so that it could see. And so he does the work of the Father. What he sees the Father doing, he does. Jesus is the example of what this connection is supposed to look like. And ultimately what that leads to then is that Jesus does the will of the Father. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, the Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I can take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want and also to take it up again for this is what my Father has commanded me. Jesus does the will of the Father, which is what? It's to love the people that the Father loves. The Father loves the world, so he sent his only begotten Son. So Jesus gives himself to manifest the love of the Father. The people that the Father loves, the Son loves. And so he lays down his life voluntarily. I believe there's been theological damage done at, some, at times when we have maybe inadvertently um, spoken as if God the Father was against us and then Jesus stepped up because he loved us and went to the cross to, to sort of oppose um, the Father's anger towards us. No, uh, Jesus and the Father were in perfect cooperation. You understand that when Jesus went to the cross, he was revealing the love of the Father. He was in perfect cooperation with the Father because the Father loved us and Jesus loved the Father and Jesus loved us. Then he gave himself on the cross because the Father loved us. And so my prayer for you is that when you look at the cross, yes, you would see the love that Jesus had for you, that he, he took the nails for you, that his body was broken and his blood was spilled for you. But also, 
that you would see through that, that what he's showing you is that the Heavenly Father loves you that much that he gave himself to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so Jesus understood that the desire of our heart is this connection with the Father. He was, the, the night that he said to his disciples, I won't leave you as orphans, just earlier than that, he had been talking to them, preparing them for how he was going to the cross. And one of the disciples says to him, just show us the Father, Jesus, and that will be enough. And I believe that's, just, that's the heart of every human being. Show us the Father, and that will be enough. But Jesus responds to him and says, Have I been with you all this time, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so he's been showing them who the Father is, and yet they haven't quite made the connection. And Jesus understands that there's one more ingredient that's needed. He has now embodied the love of the Father. He's going to go to the cross and live out the love of the Father for them, but he's going to tell them one more thing that they're going to need to actually experience the love of the Father, and that is the work of the Spirit. Jesus says to them, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who lives with you now, but will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So he's there speaking not of the second coming. I will come to you. But he's saying, I will give you the Spirit who will never leave you. Therefore, you will not be orphans. You will not be isolated from me. And so to see the relationship between the Father and the Son leads us to see the relationship between the Son and the Spirit. Three things that we can say about the Son and the Spirit. It's the purpose of the ascension. Jesus says, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Jesus ascends into heaven. He brings a perfect human being into the presence of God in heaven so that the Holy Spirit of God can come and dwell in the midst of a human being here on earth. Jesus is creating a connection between heaven and earth. It's the whole reason he ascended into heaven is so that the Holy Spirit could come and be with us. It's also the promise of his presence. Jesus says in John 14, 23, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. This has been the desire and the will of the Father from the very beginning, is to dwell together with us, to be, uh, to draw us into his presence, to create a place where there is a family presence with him. And he is doing this now through the Holy Spirit. He says, the Father and the Son come to dwell within us by the Holy Spirit. So we have the promise of his presence with us. And then finally, it's the power of the privilege. Jesus says again in John 14, in verses 12 and 13, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Jesus is saying, uh, uh, you're going to do the works that I do. Jesus has been doing the works of the Father, and now he's saying, you're going to do the works of the Father. You're going to do the same works that I've been doing because the Holy Spirit is going to come. How is this um, going to work out? The Holy Spirit reveals that adoption. It reveals that son and daughtership. It reveals that connection that we have to the Father so that we become aware of the privilege that we have, that we are sons and daughters of God, that we can ask God for things and he will do them. I love how George uh, Mueller's example in this, he started an orphanage uh, back um, uh, many years ago. He started an orphanage to care uh, for kids, but he did it for the primary purpose of showing the church that God answers prayer. He felt like then in his day, people didn't believe that God answered prayer. So he started an orphanage, and he said, I'm never going to ask for money 
I'm just going to pray. And he has a book where you can pick up George Mueller's book and see time after time after time. He prayed, and um, God would answer with exactly to the penny what they needed for uh, in the each moment of the needs of that orphanage to demonstrate to the church, you have the power, you have the privilege, you have the ability to do ministry for God, you have the ability to do the works of God in the world. And so often what's holding us back is this orphan spirit that's telling us, well, I don't have the resources of God. I mean, yes, God forgave me because of Jesus and I'm not going to hell, but I don't actually have the privileges of God. I don't actually have the authority of his name. I don't actually have the resources of his kingdom. I, don't, I can't actually accomplish a, a purpose and a calling in my life, and, and we're like that little child who's been brought into a family, but now we're entering that young adult stage, and we need to hear God speaking over us. You are my son. You are my daughter. You have the privilege of my, of my presence. You are actually an heir with Christ. You are an inheritor. You have the resources of God at your disposal. You can do the works of God and, uh, and come against that orphan spirit that tells us that we don't have enough to accomplish God's will for our life. Which brings us to the last thing here, which is simply this, the affirmation of our adoption. I believe God wants us to hear from his spirit within our hearts the testimony that we truly and actually are both born as his children and also adopted, chosen as his heirs, as his children with the privileges that come with that. He wants us to receive that in our spirit. So he says in Romans 8, verses 14 through 17, for all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. I love what it says there. It says that his spirit will testify in you that you are a child of God, will cry out within your heart, Abba, Father. And if you're not experiencing in your life now that sense, that, that absolute assurance that you are loved by God and that you are um, well-pleasing in God's sight, that you have the authority and privileges of being his son or his daughter, that the, you would listen to the voice of the Spirit reveal in your heart that Abba Father cry and truly connect you to the Father. But also it says his Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Would you call uh, purpose in your own spirit to agree with God and say yes to that and say, yes, God, I believe what your Spirit is revealing to me that I am adopted, that I'm not an orphan, that I'm not alone, that I'm not forsaken, and that I never will be, that you are with me, you are for me, your power is upon me, and I can do your works and your will in this world because I'm adopted into your family. And so, as the band will lead us in this uh, response song, I just challenge you this morning uh, to listen to the voice of the Spirit and respond and allow the Spirit to testify to you about your relationship with the Father. In Jesus' name.